That uh, was actually a, a really great song for where we're going the next couple weeks. It said, Heal my heart and make me clean. Open up my eyes to the things unseen. Show me how to love like you have loved me. Break my heart for what breaks yours. Everything I am for your kingdom's cause. As I walk from here into eternity, that's those ideas are exactly what we're going to be talking about for the next couple of weeks. As we look at these uh, next two parables and this prophecy in the Gospel of Matthew, we're going to get into uh, a couple realities of the kingdom and how it grows in the world. And as we see those realities and how the kingdom exists in the world, we're also going to learn about how the kingdom uh, of heaven advances in us, how it grows in our own lives. And then... After that, we're going to move on to this prophecy uh, that, that Matthew talks about with Jesus. Jesus talks about speaking in parables, and Matthew connects that to this prophecy back in the Psalms. And what we're going to see is that Jesus, uh, when he comes on the earth, when he comes and brings in God's kingdom, he is demonstrating to the people, he's demonstrating to us that he is the fullest expression of God's redeeming love for his people. So what we see in these, these, these two parables in this prophecy is first that uh, the kingdom comes in some unexpected ways compared to some unexpected things, and then that uh, Jesus, even though it comes unexpectedly, Jesus is just fulfilling this kind of long line of expectation from the Old Testament of God's redemption of his people. But we're not going to cover all these tonight. Tonight, uh, even though we've taken some big chunks the past few weeks, tonight we're actually going to just cover two of the five verses that we skipped last week. So we're just going to focus on the first parable, the parable of the mustard seed. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up to Matthew chapter 13. We're going to go ahead and read our our whole passage, even though we're just covering the first two verses. That's uh, Matthew 13, 31 through 35. If you don't have a Bible, there's some at the end of each row. And you'll find tonight's passage in those Bibles on page 819. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. So as I said tonight, we're just going to cover this this first parable, the parable of the mustard seed. And the main point of this parable is that the kingdom of heaven always advances in the world. The kingdom of heaven is always advancing in the world, and its growth is inevitable. So the point of this parable is that the kingdom of heaven is always growing in the world and its growth is inevitable. 
Now, as I said before we read the passage, in, in both of these parables, we see Jesus compare the kingdom of heaven, this, this big, huge idea that the people in the Old Testament have been waiting for forever. He takes this big, huge idea and he compares it to something that's unexpected. We get the first one tonight, the, the, the mustard seed. It's surprising, it's, it's unexpected that Jesus compares the kingdom of heaven to the mustard seed because the mustard seed is insignificant. Jesus says himself, he says it's, it's, it's the smallest of all the seeds. I don't know if you guys have much experience with seeds, but they're already pretty small. They're already insignificant. And, and this, is, this is the most insignificant one. Of all the seeds that he could have referred to in, in Israel, this is the, the smallest one. He says the kingdom of heaven's like that. And that's surprising because the, the kingdom of heaven can be described in a whole lot of different ways. It can be described with a whole lot of different words. But, but none of those ways and, and none of those words is, are insignificant. The kingdom of heaven is anything but insignificant. And yet that's what he says it's like. But he goes on. He says, It's the smallest of seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. See, sometimes we, we stop, and we, we think that the kingdom is just like the seed. And so we'll, you know, name a bookstore after it and put it in a mall. But it's not just the seed. It, it's, it's like the seed that's sown. Where at the beginning it's the small seed and, and then it grows. It grows from this, this seed. The seeds are actually like a, a millimeter or two millimeters in diameter. That's tiny. And mustard plants grow to be uh, eight to 12 feet tall. So that's pretty much double how tall I am. So they go from this little bitty thing to this, this big, huge thing. And, and that whole process, the change that that plant makes from this small seed to this big plant is what Jesus is comparing the kingdom of heaven to. And he's doing that because he wants the people to recognize that the kingdom of heaven is going to grow substantially. Because as we've seen, as we've gone through Matthew, and as we talked about, I think, last week or the week before, most of the Jews were kind of underwhelmed by the arrival of the kingdom of heaven. They thought it was going to be completely different than it was. They thought that Jesus was just going to roll into town and take people out. But it doesn't work that way. I don't think we recognize just how absurd God's plan seems. Think about it this way. Let's say the American government wanted to spread democracy to North Korea. And they get a bunch of people in a room and they figure out a plan on how they're going to do this. This is what they're going to do. They're going to have a baby be born in North Korea. And then 30 years from now, that baby's going to grow up and that baby's going to recruit 12 ordinary guys. Not, not the smartest, not the dumbest, not the best, not the worst. Just 12 guys. He's going to hang out with those guys. He's going to talk to them. He's going to tell them about democracy. And then the North Koreans are going to kill him. And those 12 guys are going to go out and talk about it. I'm pretty sure that idea would get voted down in the room. I don't think that would succeed. That's exactly what God does. 
Certainly, it's not an ordinary baby. And even though the guys were ordinary guys, they got the power of the Spirit. But that's what he does. Instead of bringing with him, as God's king, an army of angels to walk into Rome and take out the Romans and and reestablish the kingdom of God in Israel, this baby is born. This baby who grows into a man who will become king but who's also a prophet and a teacher and a servant. A guy who who isn't just God's Messiah, but who is also God's suffering servant, who allows himself, goes, goes willingly, goes eagerly to the cross to allow himself to be killed by the enemies of God. That plan doesn't make sense. But where we're at in Matthew... As he's, as he's just bringing the kingdom in, as he's just teaching the people, as he's, as he's recruiting disciples. We're in the mustard seed stage of the kingdom. That's where they were. Small, insignificant. Didn't seem like it was going to be a huge success. Even today, even though the kingdom of God has, has grown in the world significantly, we're all here because the disciples did their job. We're all here because Christians older than us did their jobs. We're all here because someone told us the truth about the gospel. The kingdom has grown, but we're still with these people. We're still in the mustard seed stage because it hasn't grown to where it's substantial like this this mustard plant does. It will one day. Paul tells us, that God, in in Philippians, he says this, God has bestowed on Christ the name that is above every name so that at the very name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. John, in Revelation, describes Jesus this way. He describes him as the one who, who holds stars in his hand, whose face shines like the sun and who, from whose mouth, comes a sharp, double-edged sword. He's, he's not just a servant anymore at the end. He, he comes in at the end, really how spe- people were expecting him to at the beginning. The kingdom starts small in the world, and then it, it grows to this force that is substantial enough to overcome anything. And that's how, how Jesus describes it with this parable. And that's important, and and we need to see that. We need to recognize that. That God's kingdom starts out small and then grows surprisingly and unimaginably larger at the end. But I think that's what's more important for us to see tonight. Is that even though this parable describes what what takes place on on the large scale, what takes place in the scope of history is the kingdom comes into the world in a small way and then, and then grows and grows and grows and grows and grows until the end, where it's huge. Even the parable talks about that, that grand stage. I think that it also describes how, how the kingdom of heaven advances on a small stage. You see, the kingdom of heaven doesn't just grow in the world. It grows in individuals. It grows in me. It grows in you. It advances in us. It advances through us. And so it's important for us to see that, that Jesus gives this parable about what happens on the big stage. 
But where it connects to our life today, this week, tomorrow, is when we see how this, this, this truth about the kingdom is also true for how it impacts us as individuals. And so there's, there's two things that I think this parable tells us about the kingdom of heaven's growth in our lives. I've already seen what it tells us about the, how it grows in the world, but, but there's two things that it tells us about its growth in our lives. The first is that it's always moving forward. The kingdom is always advancing. It doesn't stop. Once, once that seed is planted, once that seed is, is growing, it, it becomes a tree. It doesn't just stop and all of a sudden get smaller. It doesn't shrink. It doesn't go back. It keeps growing. It keeps growing, keeps growing, keeps growing, keeps growing until it becomes that plant that's huge. And so we need to ask ourselves, as we think about that reality of the kingdom, that, that it is always growing, we need to ask how that lines up with our life. You need to ask yourself, I need to ask myself, is the kingdom of heaven growing in you? Not, not has it grown in me in the past? That's important. We should ask that. But more important, we need to know, is it growing in us now? Was my life changed this past week because of the kingdom's growth in my life? Will it continue to grow in my life this week? Are we different than we were a month ago or three months ago or a year ago or five years ago? Has the kingdom of heaven grown in us? And when we talk about the kingdom of heaven growing in us, we don't mean this kind of mythical, weird thing happening. The kingdom of heaven is just another way to talk about the reign and rule of God in the world. And so when we talk about the kingdom of heaven taking root in our hearts, what we're talking about is God's rule and reign in us and over us advancing. Which means that if I grow in that, God is more in charge of my life tomorrow than he is today. As I, as I continue to grow in my submission to him as Lord, as, as the king, as the one who is the risen king, the kingdom of God grows in me. It grows in you when we do that. And so we need to ask whether that's happening. In the Lord's Prayer that we, we got to earlier in Matthew, he told the disciples to pray like this. He said, Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The key part for tonight. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What, what he's telling the disciples, what he's telling us, is that we should be asking God through prayer to be growing, to be advancing, to be moving the kingdom forward in us. We want it to happen in the world. We want his kingdom to move forward in the world. We want God to be more reigning in the world in the future than he was in the past. We want him to be doing that more in us than he was in the past. So what we're asking God, if, if we pray that way, if we pray the way that Jesus told us we should pray, we're asking God to, to help us 
obey him, to help us follow him, to help us live like he calls us to now, just like we will in heaven. Let your will be done, let your kingdom come on earth, here now, just like it is in heaven. And I think most of you know that, that when we're in heaven, there's, there's not going to be much of a choice in a good way, not in a bad way. We're not going to have to think about obeying God. That's going to be our default state. And so what we're asking God is, is to bring about his rule in our life in such a way that it's just like it will be then. That's what we want him to do. And we should desire that to happen. The kingdom is always advancing. And so we should ask God in prayer to advance it in us. That's the first thing this, this, this parable tells us about the kingdom. The second thing is, is similar but a little different. And that's that the growth, God's growth of the kingdom of heaven is inevitable. It's going to happen. Nothing's going to stop it from growing. So when this mustard seed is planted, just like it's, it's always growing, once it's planted, unless someone intervenes and kills the plant, which I think the fact that, that God is the sower in the parable, he's going to keep that from happening. There's nothing that's going to stop this seed from developing into a plant. In the same way, what we see in Scripture, as we think about this idea, as we think about our growth in Christ, our growth to spiritual maturity, what we see in, in Scripture is that once that, that growth process has started, it's not going to be stopped. We're going to grow to maturity. This idea kind of comes out of how Paul explains the spiritual growth of the Corinthians. He, he talks about all this conflict that's going on in the church. And then just kind of in passing, Paul says that, that he planted the church. And Apollos watered the church, which I'm assuming means he took care of it. But then he says that God gave the growth. And what Paul is getting at is that the spiritual growth of anyone, it doesn't matter who we are, it doesn't matter what church we go to, it doesn't matter how old we are, it doesn't matter how young we are, it doesn't matter what we do on a regular basis. If we grow, we grow because God grows us. Not because of some pastor, not because of some teacher, not because of some book, not because of something we do. Any spiritual growth that happens, happens because God makes it happen. And if, if we are truly, as we've seen these parables kind of build the last couple weeks, if we are truly the, the good seed that God has planted in good soil, then we should have nothing but hope that that growth is going to happen no matter what. And this should do two things for us. The fact that growth is inevitable should do two things. The first is that it should encourage growth. It should encourage us to grow in our faith because we know that it's going to happen. I believe if, if someone told you that you had an opportunity to, to pinch hit for the Cardinals in the bottom of the ninth in game seven of the World Series and you would succeed no matter what. 
Did anybody not take that opportunity? We all would. We would, we would all desire to succeed, especially if we knew that we couldn't fail. And since growth, the growth of the kingdom in the world, since the growth of the kingdom in us is inevitable, there's no reason for us to not want to grow. There's no reason for us to not try to grow. Even though God causes it to happen, we can put ourselves in places where growth will happen. And the fact that it's going to happen, because God wills it to happen, should encourage us to want to grow. In Romans, Paul says this. He says, He, meaning the Father, who did not spare his own Son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Paul's point is that if the Father doesn't even spare his Son, he allows his Son to be killed for for all of my sin, past, present, and future, and all of your sin, past, present, and future. He allows his son to be killed. He he gives him up for us all. If he's done that, that incredibly gracious, that incredibly generous, that that unbelievable thing, how is he not going to give us everything else? And that connects to this passage because if he has saved us, if he has caused us to believe in the gospel and to, to place all of our faith and all of our hope and all of our trust in Jesus, if he's done that hard thing, do we think he's just going to leave us there? Do we think he's going to say, well, well I, I'm going to give you enough grace to believe in me, but it stops there. The rest, you're on your own. You've got to work, 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 work. No. He doesn't do that. He He commits to providing the growth we need to grow to maturity in Christ. And we can have confidence that just like he was gracious to us in Christ on the cross, he will also be gracious to us as we seek to grow to maturity in Christ. It's inevitable. It's going to happen. So the first thing, that the fact that, that God's kingdom's growth in us should cause us to do is to cause us to be encouraged to grow. The second thing is the flip side of that. It should help us fight discouragement. Has anybody in here ever been in a place or are right now in a place where you would say you were spiritually dry or spiritually numb or disconnected from God or, or any of those synonyms? Anybody ever feel that way? Just me and like three other people, apparently. Well, I think that most of those feelings, any, any lack of growth that we experience is our fault. And whenever we say that we're spiritually numb or spiritually depressed or spiritually dry or or disconnected from God. I don't think we really are. I think that, that those things exist in our heads but don't exist in the real world. Because the, the kingdom is always advancing because the, the kingdom's growth is inevitable. 
the reality of a time of, of spiritual dryness or deadness or numbness or disconnectedness or whatever. That doesn't exist. It's either a, a lie from the enemy or something else that we've just tricked ourselves into believing. But I don't think Scripture expresses that reality for people who are truly believers in Christ. And I think that these things happen. We describe ourselves in those ways when we, when we buy into and we believe a false reality. And when we do that, we treat God in one of two ways. I'm sure there may be some other ones, but I think these are the two big ones. And that's that we treat God either like a bad father or like a two-year-old. We treat God like a bad father or a two-year-old. Let me explain what I mean. Whenever there's disunity or disconnected between us and God, we treat him like a bad father when we stumble or sin or struggle or, or have something going on in our lives. And we think about that. And we think about, about how God is going to respond to us for that. And we treat him like a bad father when we're afraid or when we think that he's going to punish us for those things or we think that he's going to withhold grace from us for those things or he's going to withhold good things from us for those things. When we're afraid to, to come before God in prayer or come before God in studying the word or come to church or hang out with fellow believers or, or do anything that would cause us spiritual good things, we, we run from those things and hide from those things because we're afraid that God is, is a bad father, not a loving father. You see, the problem with, with saying that we're disconnected from God is that most of the time we think it's on his end. We, we trick ourselves into thinking that he has turned away from us or he's hiding himself from us or he's gone away from us or, or whatever. But that's just not what happens in the Bible. When, when, whenever those things happen, whenever we feel that way, what, what's happened is that we've turned away from him. We've run away from him. We've, we've hid from him. This is exactly what we see Adam and Eve do in the garden. They, they sin, they disobey God. And then they hear God in the garden. They're already hiding from each other, and then they hide from God. They hide from God because they're afraid that he's going to come in and he's going to punish them. And he does. He does punish them. But he also gives them grace. And a lot of times we, we don't grow. We don't allow the kingdom to grow in us when we feel these ways because we run from God thinking that he's going to hold growth back from us, that he's going to hold himself back from us. And that view, those, those, those ideas, they're not just wrong, they're completely wrong. They're, they're the exact opposite of what scripture teaches. Listen to what Hebrews says.
he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. He disciplines us for our good. That is where we get the purpose for the discipline. That we may share in his holiness. So his discipline causes us to grow in holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields, it produces, it brings about the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. What that teaches is that our disobedience, when instead of running from God, we come before God, God uses our disobedience to fuel our growth in him. It produces holiness. It produces righteousness. We become more like him when he disciplines us, when we come to him after we've disobeyed. That means our disobedience, when we let God deal with it, instead of trying to deal with it on our own, it produces the very things that we desire. It it causes us to grow in our faith. And so we think that our disobedience will cause us not to grow. But Scripture says that if we let God deal with it, if we come before him and let him handle it, it's actually going to cause growth. God's going to bring about our growth, our good, through our disobedience. Now, obviously that doesn't mean we all run out and do whatever we want. Doesn't mean we think, well, if I'm going to grow anyway, I might as well rack up a whole bunch of sin today so that I can grow a lot tomorrow. That's not what Scripture says either. (laughs) Our disobedience doesn't mean that we run from God in shame or fear. It means that we run to God in humility and in repentance and let him bring about the growth that he says that he will bring. The kingdom's growth is inevitable. So that's how we treat God wrongly, like a bad father. Let me explain how we treat him like a two-year-old. It's kind of the other side of that. And certainly we don't acknowledge or say or talk about God as if he's a two-year-old. I think even in our, our worst sin, we're more reverent than that. But this is what I mean. If you think about two little kids who are playing together, and then they, they get into an argument about anything, what happens is that they get angry, they might call some names, and then what they do is they both grab their favorite toys and separate. We see this happen all the time at home with Dinah and Sophia, where one of them will just grab something and then take it to another part of the house because they're upset with them and they don't deserve to play with that toy. They're upset with them and so they're going to withhold relationship from them. And we act like God does the same thing to us. We're worried that he's going to withhold himself from us. If he, if he gets mad at us, if, if we make him mad, that he's going to withhold his relationship with us from us. And we create this, this false distance between us and God. We act like he's, he's taken our passion or our zeal or our desire or our, 
whatever. We act like he doesn't desire to, to, to spend time with us. When in reality, it's, it's not God that has changed. It's not God that is the one who's withholding relationship or withholding good things. Remember, he, he's, he's given us his son. How could he not also give us all things? It's not him who changes, it's us. We're the one who acts like the two-year-old. When God doesn't do something we want or our day doesn't go the way we think it should, what do we do? Well, I'm not going to spend time with him. He didn't give me what I wanted. Why should I spend time in the Word? It's not going to get me anywhere. Why should I go to church when I've had such a bad day? No matter how we describe it, or, or what words we use, no matter how we talk about the discouragement we feel when we feel like we're not growing, the bottom line in Scripture, the bottom line in this passage, is that God has said that he will cause us to grow. He will cause the kingdom of heaven to grow in the world. He will cause it to advance in a way that is inevitable, that's going to happen. And he's also going to do the same thing in us. So no matter what we feel like, that's not the way it really is. These things are going to happen because God wills it to happen. And you might be thinking, why? Why does God desire me to grow? Why does God desire you to grow? Why isn't he just content with us how we are? And his word tells us that he's already made us righteous in Christ. Scripture calls us saints. So, so if we've already got those titles, if we've already got those things, why does he want me to grow? I think that he wants us to grow, and we've talked about this some as we've gone through Matthew, because he wants us to grow because God, when he looks at me, when he looks at you, he sees us in two different realities at the same time. Now hang on, this is going to be slightly confusing, but I hope that it will make sense when I get done. He sees us in the now, right now. But he also sees us in the not yet. This is exactly what what Jesus talks about in this parable. When you have this, this tiny, insignificant mustard seed that's going to become a mustard plant. The kingdom of heaven is both. It's, it's the seed, and it's the not yet. It's, it's the plant. And when God looks at us, when he looks at the kingdom in the world, when he looks at the kingdom in me, he sees both. He sees the now, and he sees the not yet. And so scripture describes us as, as sinners who are changed by the grace of the gospel. People who are, are growing in our faith, who are growing in righteousness, who are growing in holiness, who are being, in the process of being, conformed more and more and more and more and more into the image of Christ. That's the now. We're described in that way. And, and, and when God looks at us, he sees us like that. But Scripture also describes us in the not yet, how things are going to be. We're going to be made righteous. We're going to be made new. We're going to be made holy. 
He talks about these things in the past tense, even though they haven't happened yet. And he does that. The authors in the New Testament do that because they are so confident because of what God has done in Christ that those things are going to happen. And so God desires me to grow. He desires you to grow. Not because we're special. He desires us to grow because he knows what we look like at the end. He he knows both the now, where we screw up on a daily basis, where we screwed up last week and we're going to screw up this week. And he also knows what we're going to be like at the end, what his spirit, by his grace, through the gospel, is going to make us at the end. And he desires that for us more than we desire it for ourselves. So the kingdom is, is always advancing. Its growth is inevitable. The, the, the not yet is going to become the now at some point. And God desires that for us, and we should desire that for us. We should long, we should pray, just like this song says, just like the Lord's prayer says, we should long for his kingdom to come here, in our church, in our hearts, in our homes, in our city, in our state, in our country, in our world. We should should long for that to happen. Because when God looks at the world, he sees that. And it's going to happen. We should want it to happen now. Now, a lot of this was kind of aimed at people who, who would maybe say that they're not growing right now or they're not growing as much as they should. But I want to take a couple shots at people who would be on the other side of that, people who would say that they are growing right now. Maybe, maybe you heard all those questions earlier. Is the kingdom advancing in you? Are, are you growing? Are you uh, more mature in Christ than you were a month ago or a year ago or, or however long ago. Maybe you would say, yes, absolutely I am. I would say three things to you. The first is, well, really four. The first is that's great. <laughs> the second is make sure that your self-assessment matches God's assessment. Because it's just as effective for the devil to trick us into thinking that we are growing as it is for him to trick us into thinking that we're not going to grow. I'm not saying that you're not growing. I'm not saying that growth isn't possible. I'm just saying that make sure if you think you're growing that you really are growing. The second thing is that you need to remember that God gives the growth. This is important because we are people who naturally compare ourselves to other people. And you might think, well, I I didn't read my Bible this week, I didn't go to church this week, I didn't go to community group this week. But I'm better than that guy. I'm better than that girl. I'm further along in my walk with Christ than they are. I'm more spiritual than they are. I've memorized more passages than they have. But the bottom line is that God causes growth to happen. We don't have anything to do with it. We, we, we show up and let him work. We may be able to say that 
we planted and we watered and we fertilized and and we did everything else imaginable, but it's God that causes the, the growth and not us. And so when you look at your life and you look at someone else's life, don't think about how great you are, about how special you are, about how much you've grown. Think about what God has done for you in his grace because he's the one who gives us growth. The third thing, and this is really for all of us, not just the people who say they're growing, that's that we need to recognize the huge difference between the now and the not yet. It doesn't matter how much we've grown or how much we are growing or how much we will grow before we die. We are always growing. We are never grown. We are always growing. We are never grown. None of us are mature in Christ. None of us will ever be mature in Christ. We will always, 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 always be in the process of growing to maturity in Christ. Nobody has arrived. We're all still in the same process, going to the same end, and we will be until the end. So it's, it's good that you're growing if you are. But you need to recognize that God gives the growth and that no matter how much you have grown, you're not done yet. We're still all seeds. The, the, the spectrum between being a mustard seed and being a plant, we're all on this side. And we won't be on that side until God does something to change everything. And for all of us, whether we'd say that we're growing right now or whether we'd say that we're not growing right now, we all need to remember the same thing. And that's that Jesus can say these words. Jesus can, can promise these things through this parable. The fact that the kingdom is always going to be moving forward. The fact that the kingdom is going to be inevitably growing in the world and in us. Jesus can promise these things because he knows the rest of the story. He can promise us these things because he knows that he is headed to the cross. And he knows that on the cross, he's not just going to purchase with his blood, with his body, with his death, the grace that that we need to be pardoned before a holy and just God. He does that. But he doesn't just do that. He also purchases the grace that we need to grow to maturity in Christ. The same grace that that saves us, the same grace that saved us, is also the grace that is saving us. And it's through Jesus' death on the cross, through his sacrifice on our behalf, through God graciously giving him up for us all that we experience that grace. And so tonight, as you, as you think about this passage, as you think about whether you're at a place where you are really pursuing the growth that God promises us in this passage. Remind yourself 
that the same grace that saved you is available to you to grow in Christ. And that the same God who freely gave his son is also going to freely give us so many more things. Not cars, not houses, not jobs, not money. But growth in Christ for the gospel, for the kingdom, for God's glory in the world. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you graciously gave up your son for us. Even when we were your enemies, you sent him to the world to be born as a baby, to live a perfect life, to speak the words that we got to read tonight. To live innocently and to die as a criminal to pay the penalty for sins that that weren't his, that were ours. And to secure a future in a kingdom that is always advancing and where growth for us is inevitable. God, I ask that you would break our hearts for what breaks yours. That you would help us give everything that we are for your kingdom, not just its growth in us, but its growth in our city, in our world. God, we thank you that you are making us all mustard plants. You are giving us significance for your kingdom and for your glory and and not because we deserve it but because you are gracious and merciful to us through your son. It's in his name we pray. Amen.